Imagine That Studios presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 5 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Home Alone for the Holidays by T. Morris Based on an idea from Nathan P. Lilly Christmas Eve, 1896 My name is Archimedes. No, not the philosopher, but that is where my name comes from. I am not as unusual as one would think. I sleep, I wake, I eat just as any creature of God's creation does after a time on earth. However, things become peculiar, to coin a word, when we get into specific details of my life. Hunting is my preferred sport, not entirely unusual. I enjoy a good nap in the sunlight. Rather particular, but still not unheard of. Nothing is more satisfying to me as a treat than a finely smoked salmon unless it is a freshly killed field mouse. Yes, I, upon deduction and reason, am a cat. Before you are rather taken aback by this revelation, please allow me to explain. This heightened self-awareness is not entirely unusual. Cats are, by nature, sentient creatures, we are aware of our own existence, pursue a flight-or-fight nature, and know who we can and cannot trust. Our vocabulary, I would be the first to admit, is a bit limiting. Pray, kibbles, treat, nap. That is about the sum of a cat's life. Things changed me, I would estimate, a few years ago, when my human... Old habits, please forgive me. Things changed a few years ago when my human, a rather clever gent by the name of Wellington Thornhill Books Esquire, changed my meal routine. While the details of my earlier life are a bit sketchy, I do recall moments as a stray. I found myself whisked away by accident to the outskirts of London, to the neighbourhood where Master Books resides. I recall rain, finding shelter on his stoop, and I laid my head down to die. Seemed inevitable on account of my own malnutrition. Imagine my surprise, though, when I awoke to a warm fire, a bowl of cream, and a pair of hazel eyes staring at me. Don't fret, little one, Book said to me then. You have a home. If you wish. I was introduced to tuna that night, quite the dish to me at the time. Master Books has always been concerned about my health since that time, 
After a few months of struggling to find adequate sustenance, he offered me a new meal, a rather interesting mix of chicken and fish. I have been charged to have you try this, he said in a tone that I recognize now as skeptical, to which he added, but if I find you dead by your bowl, I will have Axelrod's guts for garters. The new food was delightful, far more delightful to my palate than Spratt's patent cat food. It was within a month of dining, though, I noticed the changes. I was aware of my human's words and the overall tenor of them, but it was when he told the rather friendly old lady next door, Miss Penelope Hufflebottom, to keep an eye on his modest home. I shan't be gone for more than a week or so. In that moment, I felt a flutter of panic, until it dawned on me that a week was a scant seven days. The more of the food from this amazing man called Axelrod I ate, the more I comprehended the world around me. While I was unable to verbally or physically communicate with my human, a limitation on account of physical anatomy, I did make it clear in my habits that this was the food I preferred. After I made the deduction, a skill that I truly adored developing, that there was a direct correlation between the kibbles and my growing conscience, I was afraid of losing it. Stubborn as I was about the food, there were times that Axelrod could not produce it. Fortunately, after going a spell or two without any of this special recipe, I came to a conclusion that whatever agent resided in it had taken a permanent hold. Thanks to this wonderful quack and crackpot, as my human referred to him as, I had become truly self-aware. Now in my present state, I am aware of several things. It is currently Christmas Eve. A cold snap continues tonight over London Town, and Master Books has been away for a rather long time. Miss Hufflebottom has not been derelict in her duties, though, tending to both me and the growing collection of correspondences. When left to my own devices, I have managed, with great effort on my part, to unfold the newspaper. I have found that keeping up with both local and global affairs of humans gives me a new insight on them. Today's Daily Telegraph featured Christmas wishes from Queen Victoria and excitement over something called the Diamond Jubilee. Preparations were underway, promising a grand spectacle. The Duke of Sussex, Peter Lawson, was quoted that this Diamond Jubilee will usher in a new age of enlightenment, prosperity, and glory the likes of which the Empire had never seen. Humans are quite odd when it comes to their ages of enlightenment, prosperity, and glory. They really have no idea how lucky they are that there were not more felines such as your dear narrator. On an intimate level, we possess the ability to alter schedules to our whims. An entire empire under the rule of sentient cats? Oof. The thought just makes me purr with delight. My eyes narrow on another story of a bizarre death in the streets of London. The lady's name struck me as familiar. Deirdre Kincaid found buried underneath the floorboards of a recently renovated building in Whitechapel. Not now, Archimedes, my human chided as he removed me from his lap. Self-awareness has not changed in any way the truth 
that my human's lap is still a preferred place to nap. I have to finish this spot of research, and I have been warned by Dr. Sound that Miss Deirdre Kincaid is a stickler for details. Agent Kincaid? She was a ministry agent, much like some of the other tragic accidents I've read about. I look to the door and feel a swell of expectancy. If my human were to appear, I would be at ease. But it has been months. What could he be doing? If he were to leave for a long time, and he knew that was a possibility when he met Agent Eliza Braun, as they were undertaking in secret a collection of unsolved cases, he would have said as much. Books, are you ready? Just a minute. That was when he turned and looked down at me. Now, Archimedes, Miss Braun and I are going away for a weekend in the country. No need for Miss Hufflebottom to check on you. I'll be back before you know I'm gone. He'll bring you some barramundi for any inconvenience, Miss Braun added. When he returned from that rather long weekend, he was leaning on a cane with a foot bandaged up rather soundly. He told me of his harrowing adventure with this group calling themselves the Phoenix Society, the narrow escape from their manor, and how Miss Braun had closed the rag and bone mystery plaguing her and her recently deceased partner, Harrison Thorne. I know he was telling me this, as he had no one else to tell. Not that he knew of my own enhanced state, but like any faithful cat, I listened, blinked when appropriate, and nudged his hand with my furry head. He was rather shaken by the whole experience, but he did confide in me something quite exciting. Archimedes, Miss Braun dragged me into this intrigue under extreme protest, and yet I have never felt more alive. What do you make of that? That was when I knew Agent Eliza Braun was a most delightful woman. Perhaps that was where he was at present, off on some grand mission for Queen, Country, and Empire. I know the Ministry has been keeping him quite busy. Busy enough that Miss Hufflebottom has been here to make certain I have cream, my dry food, and the occasional treat of tuna. I find it rather sweet that Miss Hufflebottom has decorated my human's home for the holidays. She has put in the bay window a small tree, decorating it in silver and gold ornaments. I sometimes sleep under the modest decoration. It is my tradition at this time of year. She also hung holly and gave our home a delightful Christmas atmosphere. I did miss Wellington, though. We had spent a few Christmases together, just us men. Rather nice way to enjoy the holidays, but I also knew he was a bit lonely. However, last year, we were joined by Miss Braun. Apparently, there had been a rather unorthodox Christmas Eve for them, but I had never seen my human laugh that way. He was delighted with the company, as was I. She fed me a bit off her plate. Watching my human and this lady together made me purr that much louder, something Miss Braun made note of. If they were together, maybe then my human would be safe, so nothing to fear. I returned to my paper and saucer of milk, Hopefully I wouldn't find any other alarming stories of calamity befalling a ministry agent. The scratching at the door snatched my attention. Had my human returned, finally, after months in the field? Anticipation turned to dread 
on seeing two men wearing what could only be described as a ghastly pattern of tweed crouched by the main lock. They were attempting a break-in. What cads? My ears twitched at the sound of the lock disengaging. What then, Turkish? One of these ill-dressed lummoxes began. You got that barking iron yours close? I did not care for the sound of compressors priming, as the human called Turkish brought into light a modified bulldog. Yeah, Tommy, and it's loaded, so let's make quick work of this little caper. I'll keep them eyes peeled. This is the archivist we're talking about. Turkish dropped his weapon. Now what makes you think the archivist would be daft enough to come home after all this time? It's reasoning it is, Tommy insisted. Think about it. Department's been on the lookout all this time and no sign of them for months. That book's character's a smart one, so he lays low, then decides after a time, right, the department's looking all over the place for me, but I can come home, get a few baubles, and then be on my merry way. Because this would be the last place we would look for him. You come up with that all on your own? Asked Turkish. The shorter human shrugged. Spent some time reading that Arthur Conan door bloke. Been working on my skills of deductible reasoning. Deductible reasoning. Why God chose humans over cats and gracing them with opposable thumbs and advanced motor skills sometimes baffled me. Turkish shook his head and lifted up his weapon once more. Just shout if you see anything. I only knew of certain nefarious organizations on account of master books. House of Usher, the Illuminati, the Phoenix Society. However, I knew nothing of this department other than they were invading his home. Right then, time for countermeasures. I tried to cross the room as quietly as possible, but I was long overdue in trimming my own claws. They were not only longer than I preferred, but rather noisy across the wooden floor. Tommy, Turkish whispered tersely. You hear that? Looking behind me, I could hear floorboards creaking. Apparently, it was Turkish who decided to follow me towards the kitchen. I hopped up to the countertop and gently scratched against the red button set in the wall. The control panel revealed itself with a soft, low hum that the human may have heard, but he would not have known what it pertained to. Had Turkish done so, he would have called out to Tommy and strongly urged him to flee our house. I hooked my paw around the switch labeled Kitchen Corridor and tugged. Springs activated above Turkish's head, and I watched the wood panel over him slide back. The kettlebell dropped and continued to swing forward, catching Turkish square in the nose and knocking him backward. Turk! called Tommy as he thundered down the stairs. Turk! Why don't you call louder? he grumbled, covering his nose as he slowly pulled himself up. Don't think the neighbors heard you. I think your nose is broken. Well, set it. All right, all right, all right. I watched the shadows against the wall of Tommy holstering his own sidearm and straddling Turkish. He should have been gently placing fingers on either side of his nose if he knew what he was doing. This is gonna hurt, mate. The soft crunch of bone and Turk's howl of pain 
served as cue for me to hook my paw on the second switch marked Teacher's Tool and pull. The pneumatic spring underneath Tommy shot the floorboard up into his posterior and sent him forward head first into Turk's nose, which crunched on impact with Tommy's head. What the bleeding hell? swore Tommy over Turk's groans. Blimey, mate, let me fix you. You done enough, Tommy, Turkish growled. Just give me a minute. Hearing that crunch once more was most assuring. While listening to Turk groan yet a second time in just a few minutes, I went to bop with my head the button that would hide the kitchen's control panel, but paused. I had to reach another set of countermeasures, but I would need to give myself a moment's lead. I flipped the switch marked Christmas at Hyde Park before bopping the button and scampering for the back door. I could hear the rush of water through the pipes as I slipped through the smaller cat door. The water began to sprinkle against the stairs and stoop, just as I leapt for the ledge. I carefully managed my way along the windowsill, and then hopped to the other. Reaching the lattice should not be a problem, provided... Pop down, mate! Tommy barked. Did you hear that? It came from the kitchen. Someone's in here. Even from when I sat outside, the man's footsteps thundered to the back door. Yeah, I had you swinging here. The door opened as he called, Come on out, books! It was a real credit to the man he managed to get that out before his foot stepped into the fresh ice. His body seemed to hang in the air for a moment, maybe two, before his body landed hard against the stoop. Actually, that is not quite right. As the threshold was a few inches elevated from the stoop, only the lower half of him landed there. The upper half, at least, from his lower back up to his head, landed on the kitchen floor. I wondered what hurt more, the feel of his head when it impacted with the floor, or the pain of his back as it connected awkwardly with the small step at the threshold. Tommy! Turk called. From the sounds of his footsteps, he was at a full run. You see him? Stay back. Tommy managed to groan, for not. Turkish cleared the threshold, and his foot landed at the far edge of the stoop. On account of his center of gravity, his foot quickly slipped from under him. Fortunately, he was clear of the doorway, so there was no chance of him racking his back against the threshold. However, this meant he would feel the icy stoop fully against his back on landing. Bloody hell, Turk groaned, slowly turning on his side. What kind of ballyhoo is this? Tommy had come to a sitting position, his voice sounding strained. Poor Sod was in a lot of pain, apparently, even as he was reaching up to help his partner. I'm thinking this whole place has traps around it. Really, Tommy? He asked, taking his hand rather firmly. Did he not see his mate was in pain? Whatever gave you that notion? The two struggled for a moment against the fresh ice and each other, finally coming to rest in the doorway. I returned my attention to the lattice and my own climb up to the second floor. My tail shifted from one side to another as I ascended the ledge. Oh, this is the part I always loathe, even before I became aware. 
making the jump from lattice to ledge. A quick glance up, and another to the ledge, and then I pushed. Feeling the bricks under paw was most satisfying. I crept along the second-level entryway Wellington had built for me. The hatch was an embodiment of his concern, in light of my predisposition to walk along the house's narrow ledge. Slipping through the small access hatch, I looked around the modest room. This was my human's workroom, one of them anyway. He creates incredible feats of scientific engineering here, far smaller than the ones he creates in the basement. I prefer it when he works here, as the mishaps are better contained than others. In one of the boxes lining the side of his desk is where I find what I need. My nose twitches at the smell of what I believe my human calls sulfur. Yes, this is exactly what is required. I stick my head into the box, hook my teeth into the ornate design of the small sphere's casing, and adjust my balance on account of the object in my mouth. How I walk from this point must be quite deliberate and most careful. Otherwise, I may literally lose my head over this. Desktop. Chair. Floor. The sphere shudders in my mouth lightly, but once the vibration subsides, I pad my way to the door. There's no one on this floor, I hear from downstairs. Turk, how about we go and take a look topside? Hold on. And the distinct sound of a large caliber pistol caused my ears to perk up. What in the blue blazes, Tommy? Turk asked. Enfield Mark IV. Added velocity to the bullets via multiple compressors. Optional chamber for shells that'll explode on impact. Tommy sniffed. Thought it might come in handy, seeing as we was coming for the archivist. Oh yeah, Tommy. Then once we bag the bookworm, we put you out front department headquarters so you can stand guard before the Germans come. Tommy snorted. Get off! You can't blame a bloke for being prepared. Fine then, you take the lead. I quietly set the sphere on the floor and crept over to the small control panel similar to the one in the kitchen. Wellington had apparently designed this room to serve as a last stand against intruders such as the ruffians who were now invading our home. He would have stood in this doorway, armed with an offensive weapon of some description, while launching countermeasures from the control panel that would have been at foot level for a human, just under eye level for me. I heard a floorboard creak. Tommy was at the fourth step. My eyes returned to the six switches, and I rubbed my chin against the one farthest to the right. I believed that was the correct one. At the very least, the switch felt good against my chin. Oh, how I do love a good chin rub. The switch gave way, and I heard the panel in the stairwell slide back, releasing the nine-pound wooden bowling ball my human had secured to a strong section of hemp. The ball I heard cut through the air. Eyes up, Tommy! Turk shouted. What? Was all that Tommy managed before the bowling ball connected with his face. I looked into the hallway just in time to catch the moment of impact, which lifted Tommy off the stair and sent him flying past his partner. From the sound of his impact against the floor, Tommy would have quite the sore back in the morning. Turk, however, had somehow managed to stay in the stairwell. Whether it was pressing himself against a wall or merely ducking under Tommy, I could not be certain. But I could hear feet 
pounding against the steps as he shouted, Give yourself up, books! You just make it worse! Oh dear. I leapt upon my back legs briefly and drove my right paw into the second switch. With a click, gears and cogs clattered from beneath me, the second floor hallway, and the staircase. Turk had managed to reach the last step before the stairs underneath him disappeared. His chin connected hard with the landing just before he slid down a smooth ramp and landed clumsily on top of Tommy. I used my snout to flip the switch back to the neutral position, and with a rapid clamor from underneath the floor, the steps reappeared. That was when I nudged the small sphere down the hallway to the top of the staircase. Tommy, Turk groaned, you still with me? Not if you keep lying here, Tommy groaned back. Humans are a funny lot. With just the slightest of nudges, the small sphere began a slow bounce down the staircase. On each impact against the wooden tread, the volatile gel within it began to glow brighter. If I understood Wellington, and I believe I did, I would have enough time to hide in the master bedroom. What is that? came Tommy. I don't know, Turk insisted. It's coming from the... Oh, bugger. The flash from downstairs cast my furry shadow against my human's door for an instant. Then I heard the intruder's moan. Christ, Turk! I'm blind! You're not blind, you cloth-eared git! It was a flash bomb! I peered around the corner to see the two rapscallions struggling to get back to their feet. I don't know if it's books or someone else, but we're not alone in this house! No, you are certainly not. I padded down the steps, intending to slip beyond Tommy and Turk. So far, I had carried out countermeasures Alpha and Beta. Perhaps it was time to enact Gamma. These last set of countermeasures, I recall my human telling me, would be the final straw that would break a camel's back if intruders were to weather the storms of the previous two. What? You find it odd that my human would talk to me about such things? Tell me you never talk to your cat about many strange aspects of your life. Cat, dog, bird, even something as exotic as a tarantula. Yes, we are paying attention, as it turns out. Now where was I? Oh, yes, countermeasures Gamma. My plan should have been a flawless operation. Temporarily blind the intruders, slink past immobilized said intruders, make for the parlor where the third set of countermeasures would be. As I had the advantage of four legs and low center of gravity, this should have been a doddle. What I had not anticipated was Turk managing to shield his eyes before the blast. His hand grabbed me, and while my human's countermeasures made both he and Tommy out to be bumbling bolts, Turk's reflexes were hardly clumsy. He managed to grab my back right leg and pull. Gotcha! Turk barked. I let out a howl, the only warning he would get from me. Just because I was somewhat round in shape did not mean any of it was jelly. While I am a furry cat, I am rather toned under my coat, due in part to Axelrod's dry food. I twisted my captor's grasp and sank my fangs into the first piece of flesh I could find. What I had found was the thick, meaty muscle around his thumb. I tasted the human's blood, 
And no, not a pleasant flavor at all. I much prefer sparrow or field mouse to humans, which I can assume is good for humans. I must have really thrown a lot into this bite, as I felt my back end swing free. Turk had let me go. I, on the other hand, had not. This bloody monster! He screamed, lifting his arm up, and me along with it. As much as I would have loved to deal a bit more damage, I could not afford to take a chance and have Turk hurl me against a wall. I wrenched myself free and fell awkwardly against the wood floor. My limbs scrambled for purchase, but for a moment all I heard were the sounds of my claws scratching against the floor. When I finally felt myself upright and sprinting, Turk was back on his feet. It's a bleeding pussycat! We're being bamboozled by a cat! The countermeasures were just around the corner. My greatest concern, which countermeasures? Should I trigger Newton's folly, or perhaps close shave was needed? I came round the corner, but Turk was standing before me. He must have cut through the library to reach the poller. You see him, Tommy? Turk called out. Yeah, I'll see him. And I glanced over to my left. Tommy was standing once again, blinking madly. If I didn't know about the flash bomb, I would have taken his odd tick as being his insistence of trust in me. Bleeding furball ain't getting past me. The floorboard creaking whipped my gaze back to Turk. Here, kitty, kitty. Kitty, kitty. Dear Lord, humans can really be trite at times. Don't run, you precious fairy bastard, he cooed. Just gotta catch you and turn you into a muff so you don't make our job any more complicated. I started to creep back, my eyes darting between the two men. I could make it back to the kitchen, but that would leave these men in my human's house. Our home. That was unacceptable. Tommy, shoot it. What? What? Turk finally took his eyes off me. You heard me. Shoot the cat. You're joking, you are. I started to turn my head to Tommy, but sudden kissing noises from Turk grabbed my attention. Damned instincts. No matter how keen my intelligence, the instincts will always be there. Tommy, I'm keeping Kitty Kitty here distracted. I suggest you shoot him. I ain't shooting no cat. Very good, Tommy. Stand by your morals. Tommy, now is not the time to take some high ground. What sort of monster shoots a cat? Tommy said with a huff. That's just wrong. Turk's shoulders dropped. Fine. Then you shoot books when we find him. He said as he drew from his coat the earlier mentioned bulldog pistol. Fair enough, if you can live with yourself. I heard the gun click as Turk pulled its hammer back. I'll sleep just fine tonight. Oh dear. Both Turk and I gave a start when the front door blew free of its hinges. I should have bolted as Turk did, now running back through the parlor and library. But I felt the instincts, the curiosity ones, keeping me rooted to the spot. Something fired. But I cannot be sure if it was a firearm as it sounded more like an object launched from some sort of air compressor. Whatever whipped through the air caught Tommy off guard and, on hearing his body hit the floor, off balance. Tommy! Turk called out. 
I think I broke my nose again, Tommy said. Tech's gun fired, and then came the low thrum of focused energy displacement. A rather odd sensation when such a wave runs the length of your pelt. I think the last time I experienced such a thing, I did not set foot in Wellington's basement laboratory for well on a month. The floor under paw shuddered, so I could assume that whatever the blast was, it had effectively immobilized Turk. I slowly crept forward, my own silence matching the one that had befallen our home. The quiet did not last, sadly. Turk, called Tommy. He was lying in the main hallway, tied up by what appeared to be South American bowlers. As his arms were secured tightly to his sides, he failed to get back to his feet. He seemed to be unable to even reach a sitting position. Turk, what's going? The gloved hand whipped off Tommy's cap and buried itself into his hair. With a quick snap, Tommy's head went back and then into the hardwood floor. He was knocked unconscious at the moment of impact. I stepped back again as my gaze slowly went from prone intruder to triumphant savior. Her smile was kind, just as I remembered it. Quite the evening, wouldn't you say, Archimedes? Miss Hufflebottom? She set down what I instantly recognized as a carrier. You probably won't like this, but... Without a second thought, I darted towards her and disappeared into the large box. Well now, she said as she closed the carrier's door. I crept next to the mesh and saw her reach up to a small device secured to her shoulder. Pressing down the device's arm created a bright blue-white spark that she spoke into. Control, this is Ministry Auxiliary Agent 7825. Situation neutralized. Over. The device went dark until the spark returned, this time with a voice coming from it. Acknowledged 7825. Rendezvous at coordinates. Maintain radio silence. Over. Acknowledge control. Over and out. She gave a slight sigh and then peered into my carrier. Well now, Archimedes, we have quite the journey ahead of us. Not that I expect you to know about Hebden Bridge, but I think the country will suit your disposition just fine. I then felt the world lurch slightly as she stood, carrying me to the door. I just hope you will not mind riding for so long with Victoria. Victoria? Well now, this evening is getting grander by the moment. Victoria was Miss Hufflebottom's feline companion, a rather fetching ginger-colored Siberian. We were in the foyer, and she showed no signs of slowing. The volume and tenor of my meow stopped her abruptly. What? Are you hurt, Archimedes? Oh, this would be tricky. I only had one chance to do this. If I recall, it was a prolonged coo with a long meow. Not a howl, but a rather pronounced meow. Dash it all, she swore. Agent Books did say you were a rather particular eater. My crate was set down, and I watched through the door window as Miss Hufflebottom hustled back to the kitchen and reappeared a moment later, carrying the bag of Axelrod's cat food. I cooed in approval. Yes, 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 she said, scooping up my crate. Now let's not dally any longer. 
We have quite the journey ahead of us. My prolonged purr rolled into a very strong meow. Once we get moving, she insisted. We crossed the empty street, and I heard a small latch disengage, and the squeak of what sounded like a tiny door opening. Before I could find out any more, my carrier opened, and I dropped into a larger crate. In the darkness, a pair of golden eyes stared at me. Mm, it's here. She was in a coy mood tonight. Perhaps Victoria did not travel well. Good evening, Victoria, I said pleasantly. Now, while I did say earlier I lacked the ability to communicate with humans, I discovered my communication with other cats had evolved quite quickly. I found that reading another cat's thoughts was rather simple. Child's play, really. However, to hold conversations, that was not to be. Unless, of course, there you are, Miss Hufflebottom said, as she placed a bowl of Axelrod's kibble between us. I hope you don't mind sharing with Victoria. Not at all. Victoria was immediately into the food. I don't think it was out of hunger, more out of pleasure, as the food was incredibly satisfying, in so many ways. And how is this batch of Axelrod's food? I purred, just a tiny oral nudge. I think she found it charming. Is it to your liking? Victoria looked at me, her eyes narrowing. It is adequate. I have very particular tastes. I have no doubt, Victoria. Our crate shuddered as a rumble rose from underneath where we were. Victoria's eyes went even wider. What is that infernal noise? I do believe we are in a motor car. Ready are we, my darlings? Miss Hufflebottom asked. Next stop, Hebden Bridge. If we make good time, we may reach the rendezvous before Christmas dinner. I do think it is rather adorable. I began, drawing close to my fellow feline. How our humans talk to us. I wonder how they would react if we were to reply one day. They have their uses. Victoria said, with just a hint of disdain. All an act I knew. I have seen her cuddle several times with Miss Hufflebottom. Her attempts at superiority I found rather delightful. We are off on an adventure, it would seem, I offered. Victoria huffed. My fur will be ruffled. I tucked myself into the corner of our crate and began to purr. Tosh, Victoria. This will provide us with a new experience and time together. Now, do come and join me. She looked at the kibble, then back to me. With one last huff, she crept over to where I had made myself comfortable and nuzzled next to me. It had been quite a day, as Miss Hufflebottom had observed, so Victoria was in no danger of any amorous intentions on my part. Then again, I had no idea how long of a voyage lay ahead of us. Her purr taunted me, and it made me wonder. If she were also enjoying the benefits of Axelrod's kibble, would our kittens enjoy it as well? Or would they be born with such gifts as what we shared? And what if this ability to share thoughts were to evolve beyond the two of us, or even our family? How would my human react if we were to share an actual conversation? Perhaps we would find out on reaching this place called Hebden Bridge, 
Something told me this adventure had many more days ahead. And treats. Treats, most assuredly. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order The Ghost Rebellion and The Curse of the Silver Pharaoh, available in print, digital, and audio formats. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. An Imagine That Studios production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Valentine. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.